This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast the day after. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. That's Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. after 8.02 on the East Coast in the morning. Going to see how many people trickle in here on an unadvertised day after podcast live. Doing it primarily because I don't like dealing with uploading to YouTube because it's gotten to be a chore the way YouTube uh, seems to want to act. But Buck Sanders, 27-24 in a game against the Miami Hurricanes that quite frankly, other than the location, was pretty much the exact same game that Carolina played against the Hurricanes last season. Your overall thoughts? Well, except uh, neither one of them uh, scored uh, that amount of points. It was like 20 points more each, but it was a three-point game, so it was a little different. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I would think that people should feel good this morning. North Carolina was a four-point dog. Um, at, at, in Miami, they come away with the win. They're leading the coastal. They're five and one. I, I don't know. It's probably just me. I don't know if it's just me or not, but possibly it could be. I don't feel all that good about this game. I, I have some reservations. Um, I'd like to see the defense uh, continue to get better. I thought they were a little better in this game, although. 500 yards, that's what we're talking about here. We're giving up 537 yards and calling a good defensive game. I have trouble with that. Um, and, and I've heard everybody say today, most people saying, it was a win by the defense. Defense won the game. And you give up 537 yards. I guess that's the world we're living in these days. But still, um, they were great against the run. you got to give them that. 1.8 yards per carry, and, and that's that's the decision that they made. And we were just talking about this, I think, maybe the last time we gathered here, that or maybe it was after the Notre Dame game. North Carolina had to decide what they're going to be good at. One side, you know, you know they got to be good against the run or good against the pass. They got to make a call, you know, to be good against one or the other. And it looks like they've made that decision. They're going to try to be good against the uh, against the run. If you count the jack position on the defensive line, which I do, North Carolina had nine different defensive linemen to get at least one tackle in that game yesterday. 
And so they've got the bodies up front, I guess they feel like, and some good tacklers at linebacker um, to pull it off, to, to shut down the run. And Gene Chiswick was as aggressive yesterday as I've ever seen him defensively as far as blitzing and sending extra players, run blitzes. But bottom line, I wish I would feel better about this. I think I should feel better. I don't know what's stopping me from feeling better, but um, – Coming, that was a tight ball game. Come away with a three-point win, and you know it came down to the light, essentially the last play by Miami when they threw that pick. So here we are. Pessimistic buck. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> used to seeing it. I'm a. It is the world we live in when Tommy's the positive one of the bunch. This is a. I, I've heard I'm a lot happier since last Friday. Um, a week ago. So maybe this is part of it. <laughs> J- <laughs> Jason, um, I, I know, uh, you're going through a lot this morning. I'm dealing with a lot, um, sports related, <laughs> but let's stick to the Carolina version here. Um, almost 500 yards to Tyler Van Dyke, but only gave up 24 yards, uh, 24 points. That's some impressive, uh, you got to work really hard to give up 500 yards passing and only give up 24 points. What did they do? What did they do that surprised you? What did they do? Um, you agreed with Buck on when he was talking about stopping the run and picking a side and all that stuff. But how, how was Gene Chizik's crew managed or able to manage to do that? Well, number one is that is 1.8 yards per carry given up. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty straightforward. Other and than Virginia Tech, have they ever done that? Not well, this year. Against Virginia last, was it last year? Yeah, yeah, not this year though. Yeah, the, the Virginia stat line last year is almost identical to this one, if you remember. Yeah. Um, but you know, this was at, you know average per per you know sack adjusted rush average two point five yards a carry. That 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 that's the difference, and really where that manifested the most was down in the goal line when they got a goal line stand where Miami ran it what like seven eight times in a row from inside the five yard line and couldn't, couldn't penetrate the the defensive front, couldn't get in there. And then finally, you know, gave up on it and ran play action on, on fourth down and Carolina completely expected play action there. Good job by the, by the staff and wound up, uh, wound up getting the stop. That's the ball game. That goal line stand was the ball game. It turned out. And they took it 99 yards the other way after that stop. That, That's that right. That was the ball game. That sequence right there was the ball game. That's the difference in the game. Normally, you get you give up that many plays inside your five, and you're going you're gonna to end up giving up a touchdown. And this game winds up being, what, 31-27? Something like that? I mean, there's your difference. So what they did is exactly what Buck said, is they decided – we're going to be we're going to we're going to stop at least one thing and we know what this team wants to do they knew that crystal ball and gaddis they knew what they want to do and they also knew that you know miami miami's going to have some problems with drops once in a while they're going to have some some mistakes out of that wide receiver crew and they got a few choice ones in good op, in, in good situations but that was that was the that was the strategy. Is this is a team that offensively, and we talked about it in the in uh, you know yesterday in WC, WCHL 
pregame, Tommy. I said this. Uh, you asked me what it, what has to happen for them to win. I said if they they hold them under hundred or uh, under a uh, hundred yards and they run for a hundred yards, probably win the game. Well, they ran for 161, 3.7 yards per per carry, and I, I said over 3.5 yards per carry, over 100 yards, you probably win the game. You hold Miami under 100 yards rushing, you probably win the game. That's what they it they came in as a coaching staff with exactly that mindset. Got to be balanced enough on offense, and then just force Miami to be consistent in the passing game consistent enough to score because they'll move the ball, but maybe, you know, maybe they make a mistake, you know, six, six plays into the drive. Maybe they drop that key ball. Um, I, that said, like Buck said, there, there are concerns coming out of this game. I mean, you look at the big plays, Miami had 14 big plays all in the running game. Or, I mean, all in the passing game, that is. None in the running game. 14 big plays. And North Carolina had 10 big plays. Four rushing, six passing. So, the thing about Miami's big plays is none of them were over 41 yards. So, you know, that... And that was the the sort of uh, difficult missed assignment uh, with... with uh, Jalen Knighton down the down the sideline where you had him running ahead of of uh of Gray and Gray was expecting a little bit of of um of help from the secondary there but all in all you give up a bunch of big plays but none of them are all that long they're none of them are touchdown you know back-breaking big plays you make them earn it and with this Miami Miami offense if you make them earn it they might just have a little trickle of substance going down their leg and they knew it. So that's that's what they did. That's how they won this game was, you know, they played a little bit of red zone roulette and they won. They they did their job. And the, this was the best the defensive line has looked all year. And I think that's what people, Buck, what people are actually talking about when they say this is defense. And, you know, it's been so long since we've seen anything like that on the defensive line from Carolina that people are, are mistaking that for good defense. Right. It's like, whoa. So that's what a defensive line supposed to do. <laughs> so it's definitely not a complete defensive uh, defensive effort, but win and move on, baby. I mean, this is this is a win. And that's, a, you know, that's against a good FCS program. So, I mean, you take that every time. And uh, and, and, you know, you don't want it to be that close. I don't think that game should have been that close end of the first half they very nearly lost that football game with some bad decisions but five and one and in the driver's seat in the coastal and you look at the rest of the coastal you don't see anybody else that should beat this team i mean i think wake forest is is by a good sight the best team left on the schedule so now you're now the whole rest of the season opens up and you got a shot at you know a legit shot at a 10-win season so, you know, you got to be feeling pretty good about that regardless of, you know, concerns about this or that. You don't want this game to be as close as it was, but, you know, hey, if you, let, if you allow a team that isn't quite as good as you to hang around for just a little too long, that team might just 
come out and beat you at the very end somehow if you make enough mistakes. So you don't want that to happen. But but uh, overall, you'll just walk away with the win and you'll say, all right, next next time, next game, can we improve this other thing that we're not doing quite as well? You uh, you and the uh, Noel fan base certainly knows about your last point. Um, <laughs> that, that would have made a, a day almost perfect yesterday. But I think the one thing that I was most impressive about and – a lot of people say the defense stinks and all that, and we, we can discuss that. But Carolina was not sharp on offense throughout. Now, Drake may made some ridiculous plays in, in the first half, but the second half, um, they had some moments, but Carolina was able to win the grinder game. And I'm going to do this. Shout out to Nia Satterfield-Brown in the WCHL pregame show. For one, she said DeAndre Boykins um, was going to be key. And obviously he was for two. Um, she thought it would be 28-24, I think is what she picked, in a low-scoring game because she didn't think Carolina's offense would be um, on point against Miami. Those are my takeaways. Carolina was able to win an ugly football game. And, you know, judging from what we've seen a lot, that just hadn't been the case for Mac Brown 2.0 too many times. And I think that part of it gives hope for the rest of the season for sure. What do you, what do you think there? Jason, what's the biggest stat? While Buck's fix, fixing that, what's the biggest stat in this game other than the rush yards? Oh, that's a good question. Um, thinking about this, I think runs, runs stuffed percentage, that might be it. But again, you asked for other than the rushing. You know, I, I don't like seeing the the big play, the deep passing numbers from Miami. They were six for 11 on deep passing. Uh, so, you know, that that's something that needs. There to we go. Huh? Now you're now you're through the computer. You hear me now? Now you're through your computer, but that's fine. Let's go. Are you hearing me now? No, I can hear you're you. Through, you're through the computer. Okay. And this is live. So everything that can happen live does happen live. And ooh, I don't know how to fix that. <laughs> It is a, uh, hold on. Let me see if I can fix that one. I, uh, yeah. what about that right there? We're still doing the day after podcast. Here, here's a, here's another favorite. one though. Third down. <laughs> here, here's, here's the other one. You ask for another, another, you know, what's the other stat? It's third down, third down percentage. That's the other stat looking at this. Uh, at one point, Miami, I think was one for 10 on third down, but you know, you look at, they were 35.7 on on uh, on third down and that's with the end of the you know the end of the game they they marched it down a couple times but yeah they uh, they let's see they were uh first half they were well, they weren't one for 10 they were they were 3 3 of 8 in the first half and then second half they were well, first half, six. no, I'm sorry. First half, they were two well, of six and then three of eight. Early. So that that third down percentage, getting off the football field was, was key. Two of six and three of eight. Oh, no, that was last night. That was that was uh, NC State that was one for 10 on third down at one point. Still oh, managed to win that there. game. Let's don't go there. But we got yeah. you back in here. Um, uh, it's always fun doing them live. Um, I'd rather do them live than have to – worry about doctoring it up 
You liked that, didn't you, Jason? But you, what were you saying yeah. there? I think you mentioned Caleb Hood um, when you were having a little bit of mic issues. What's your thoughts there? Yeah, uh, Caleb Hood, could you hear me okay, by yeah. the way? Yeah, gotcha. Um, the um, Caleb Hood, I think, seized the day yesterday and, and has emerged um, as a leader of the clubhouse, but a uh, lead dog in the running back room. And what was really impressive, I thought about him, was not just the way he ran the ball. I think he got like 5.7 yards per carry, something like that. But um, he also caught the ball well, had five catches for 50 yards. So um, having a back that can do both, uh, that can run the ball and catch the ball, as long as he can pass protect, the, the defense has no clue what you're going to do with the ball. You don't, they don't know if you're going to run, throw, what you're going to do. Um, so I, I thought his emergence yesterday against a, a decent Miami defensive line, Jason probably say for an FCS team, they have a really good defensive line. Uh, but um, I thought Caleb Hood was a real bright spot for the offense. And even though, and, and this may be an example of how uh, statistics can lie, but Drake may have a better QBR and pass efficiency rating than Tyler Van Dyke did um, by points or a few points each way. So he threw the ball a lot less. He threw the ball half as much as uh, uh, Tyler Van Dyke. And he made a couple of mistakes on the picks, of course. But uh, the offense, I don't think, was – as bad as it looked uh, at times. I think, I mean, they obviously did put enough points on the board to win. Uh, but besides that, I think we're used to seeing, uh, you know, 45 points, 50 points, whatever. Um, and in this case, didn't see that many. So something's obviously wrong with the, the offense. But I, the offense did enough to win, I think. And, um, that number might shock some people that uh, Drake May's numbers were better than uh, Tyler Van Dyke's. At least on ratings, yeah. May 19 for 28, 309, 2 and 2. Van Dyke, 42 of 57 for 496, 3 and 1. I mean, Van Dyke almost threw for his season total. Um, I think he had like 800 yards on the season. I, I told the Miami crowd before. Um, went on the big O show down there in pregame. And I said a number and they, whew, you talking about fan base that was down on their team. Um, <laughs> but a number that they should remember is that Carolina's defense has given up Heisman level performances to everybody, everybody except the Virginia tech quarterback. Um, and they weren't buying it. They were like, Oh no, no, no. That's, there's no way Van Dyke does this. He was fantastic again. I do think the pressure got to him at times. But, Jason, I want to ask you something that, that has sort of been a burr in my saddle watching this Carolina defense. And, yes, they made the big plays to win. Um, Miami was made a conscious effort to prevent Carolina's tight ends, I thought, from having huge games. I mean, you got Morales with two catches, Nesbitt with one um, for 21 and 22 yards apiece. But Will Mallory who everybody talked about is one of the best tight ends in the nation, certainly in the ACC, just like the fellow for Notre Dame, eight for 115 
on 10 targets. Can, can you help me understand what, what is it about Gene Chizik's defense or really any college defense that prevents uh, manning up, doing whatever you have to do on the tight end? Because Mallory, like the Notre Dame TE, was running free quite a bit. Now, he did have a huge drop. But he was wide open most of the time, eight for 115. What's going on there when you look at Gene Chizik's defense and Carolina's personnel against those type plays and players? Well, it's a little bit, it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that in some respects. But the the main thing that Miami did to get him open is they used they did they ran a lot of what's called uh, what's called the mesh concept. This is actually something Phil Longo runs a lot. It's a it's an air raid uh, concept that every team that has a little bit of air raid in it will use. And a lot of teams that don't run the air raid now use. Uh, And what you have is you have players usually from either the slot or the tight end on each side of the line of the offensive line are going to run. They're each going to run shallow crosses. Now this violates, you know, the way that, that teams used to call a lot of, a lot of things in games where you don't want players in the same, you don't want to run your, your, uh, receivers in the same zone well, mesh does that on purpose to turn it into a pick essentially so it, it's not a pick if both players are just running their routes right and the way that this the way that you coach it is actually each player you're, they're, they're supposed to slap hands as they go by each other now this you can defend it a few different ways but it's trickier if you're in more of a man coverage and carolina was in man a decent amount or in man concepts, man match concepts, at least in this game. And so if you man up on the tight end there, you're getting screened off. Essentially. It's hard to, to stick with the tight end or it's hard to stick with the, the receiver or whoever's coming from the other side or both because you're in each case you're chasing. And in each case you may just run into the wrong person. So, and that happened a few times in this game. They used a lot of pick concepts on Carolina once they realized Carolina was playing aggressively in terms of, you know, their match principles and really following guys. Uh, and they tried to tried to screen out the linebackers a lot in this game. That's something they just did a lot of. So, uh, you know, getting little wheel or, or uh, rail routes to the, to the running backs, getting Mallory in situations where he would uh, – make a make you know either on mesh or some other concept sort of rub one of those defenders and that's hard to that's really hard to stop when you're when you're doing that sort of thing so to to stop that you have to give up some other things and that's what makes it tricky (laughs) sounds like you got a dog going there um yeah the squeaky Uh, toy yeah squeaky toy (laughs) Um, but this is hilarious. This is, I love live. Um, I do too. But the uh, the thing that you that you can do is you can you can try to zone that a little bit, uh, and and so you pass off. You have to communicate. You know, in 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 in, in and let a, and, and you're switching off responsibilities and all that. But then that requires a lot of communication. And if a guy doesn't come off in just the right spot. Now you've got a guy that's sitting wide open or potentially running free. Uh, so, you know, modern offense, modern offensive football is tough to tough to compete against. And you know, when you when you when you uh, when you're you're defensively going to say, okay, we're going to 
we're going to match coverage, but we're going to play with a little bit of cushion and then we're going to bring pressure. The space that's going to be there is that sort of short to intermediate space where the tight end is naturally working. And at that point, you're just basically saying, okay, that's the thing we'll, we'll, we'll give you a little more of, but we're going to come up and make the tackle and you're going to have to execute over and over and over again. And sometimes we'll take that away. You know, you can't just count on it. So, and that's what they did. So at that one, that didn't bother me too much to see, to see Mallory have the success that he did at different points. You have to give certain things up on defense. Every defense has something that the offense can take advantage of unless you just beat the brakes off of them up front. And Carolina's not dominant enough on the defensive line to just take everything away. So, you know, you, you, you have to decide what you're willing to give them. And that was what they were willing to give a little bit of in this game. And I think it was the right decision. I don't know. It looked like Gio Biggers was running through traffic. Like, reminded me like he's trying to cross 95 out here to chase Mallory a lot. And he, he was open. And, and, and like I said, I, I think that's something they need to clean up. But you, to your point, you got to give up something. Buck, give me something on the defensive end aside from – choosing you know stopping the run or whatever who stood out for you i thought power Eccles was everywhere yesterday uh he was and uh of course we already talked a little bit about deandre boykins but i think he's an emerging star at nickel he's helping out a lot uh he's upgraded the defense from last year uh at that position um early on if you were paying attention, Keyshawn Silver was making some plays. Uh, you know, in the second quarter, he came up big, I think, in that uh, goal line stand a couple of times. Um, and, and, you know, there are other guys you can mention on the defensive line, but they paid, played so many of them um, that for one guy to stand out is not as easy, I don't think, uh, when you're playing nine as opposed to playing five. Um, but defensively, I would say DeAndre Boykins, although I will say and I'm not the only one that's going to make this observation by any means, but Cedric Gray has a knack for making a big play. Knocking a ball out, a strip, you know, force fumble, and, you know, just uh, the stop that he made, uh, keep preventing the guy from going out of bounds uh, near the end of the game. That might have won the ball game for him. Because uh, the, the guy had to run, they had to hustle the offense back out there. Did they not have a down? They could have spiked the ball, maybe. And I thought it was they, third. I thought that was third down. I thought they could have spiked it, but yeah. yeah. But then they were they would have been concerned given Tyler Van Dyke's pass that he would have tried to spike it on fourth down too. So, <laughs> <laughs> man, you the know, shade is heavy. I, I, you know, I'm not sure why they didn't spike the ball there. Maybe they had a good reason. I'm not sure, but. Um, preventing that guy from going out of bounds was big. I mean, because it, it made them rush things, and that's basically how Boykins came up with the interception. I think is they were just too rushed. So Gray, he you know he's not he's imperfect. He's not a perfect linebacker. He makes mistakes, and um, I think probably even all of us make mistakes from time to time. But uh, he has a knack for making a big play. So. I thought, yeah. I thought Des Evans also stood out in this game 
you know, there, there are a couple of uh, the, the penalties down there at one point that, you know, drew some attention, but I thought Des Evans played really well in this game. Yeah, he did. I mean, he's got to keep his – he's always doing that stiff arm bull rush and getting his hand up in there. Um, who knows when they'll call it or whatever. But I thought Evans – but but Eccles and Gray, to, Jason, to Buck's point about Cedric Gray, I mean, you have a leader of the defense. You have a guy that's in on pretty much every play. But I don't know if the if the normal watcher of the game, certainly people that are watching this podcast or – and Buck mentioned it, the play to hold the Miami guy in bounds, and I'll freely admit, I was yelling at TV saying, roll the clock, run the clock, run the clock. That was that's – some, that's, that's some heads-up football. And we see a lot of guys making dumb plays, but we got to give a, a double shout-out to making a play that just is that, – that's a big-brain play right there that, that Gray made. Um, can you speak to the growth that you saw – um, if any, on the Carolina defensive side, in terms of of those type plays, making the smart play, not not making silly mistakes that's cost this team a lot. Because I kept waiting for a bad penalty, I kept waiting <laughs> for this and that. You know, the old kick dog muncher. But I thought Carolina was decently clean in that aspect and needed every bit of it. Yeah. So I, I think um, first of all, the reason that Gray has made so many of those uh those big plays in in key situations over the years is because he's such a smart player gray is is a he he you can see him he processes really quickly and you know he's an athlete he's a good athlete but really the 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 thing that he brings to the table more than anything else and the reason he played early last year is that he's he's just a really smart player uh but I think defensively, the thing that I noticed the, the difference of the most were two things. One is I thought the defensive line played with good pad level uh, really for the first time co- with any sort of consistency all season. I mean, y'all know I've been harping on that as like you can't be successful on defense with playing with these fundamentals on defensive line. And I've been showing example after example of like, this is not it. This is not it. And then the last couple of weeks, I've shown examples of, all right, well, we saw one. <laughs> that play, they did it right. And, you know, then over here, they didn't do it right. But we're seeing like a little bit of a little bit of growth. And then this game, all of a sudden, it was more consistent. It was like, oh, okay. Yeah, you know what? That play, I just saw three guys play with appropriate pad level, proper one, two, you know, steps off the off the ball, re re uh, re re uh, directing the line of scrimmage, that sort of thing, and along with that, I saw the defense doing a lot more of guys just doing their job instead of peeking and trying to you know on the defensive line peeking into the backfield, standing up to try to see where the ball's going, backers you know kind of in the wrong space and all that it looked to me like this team bought in a, a, a good bit more defensively in terms of just doing what they're supposed to do, doing their, their job rather than trying to make a play. Now there are a few missed assignments here and there. There are a few places where guys, you know, got their eyes in the wrong spot and all that, and, you know, that happens to most teams, most Saturdays, 
but all in all, I thought the, I thought the real growth was watching guys handle their business and hold their water a good bit more with their eye discipline and with just overall assignment soundness in this game. That that I thought was the biggest was the biggest thing. And so that's not a single individual in terms of, you know, making smart plays or whatever. That's the whole unit on defense deciding to to play more within what they're asked to do. And and I think that that marks some good growth. Yeah. I, one thing, and Buck, you can share what you think about what I'm about to say. I think one thing that I've heard you talk about all year, um, the technique issues and the fundamental issues and all, I've wondered, could those be cleaned up during season? Um, and it seems like maybe, I, I guess they have been. Buck, did you see things that, to Jason's point, were cleaned up in this game. Obviously, the defensive line needs some pressure, and they're getting their hands up. Somebody, Jamil Taylor in the chat, mentioned that. Um, they did it at the very beginning of the Notre Dame game, and then they didn't do it anymore. Um, it seems like they've done it a lot the last three, but as far as growth and in those type things, Buck, on the defensive side specifically, what did you see or what did you want to shout out beyond what we've already talked about before we switch to some questions? Well, um, the um, I'd be real interested to see the PFF stats when they come out because um, I thought that uh, Chiswick called a very aggressive game uh, against Miami with uh, you know, sending extra people against the run, run blitzes, uh, other bl just regular pass blitzes, and um, he was just very aggressive, more aggressive than I've seen him. That's not typically his style, as you know. Um, and as far as the defense, you know, being different or looking better or all those kinds of things, I wonder how much of that is either the coaching staff has, has made a decision a week or two ago, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to concentrate on this. This side of the ball, we're going to stop the run do the best we can in the pass game. We're going to put our corners on an island and let them play off. And they're going to do what they're going to do in the passing game. And we're just going to concentrate on stop the run. It's either that or the players started buying into that. They've been preaching it to them all along. And the players have just now started to buy into it and say, yeah, okay, we get it. Um, but I do think even including the Virginia Tech game, there's been a slow movement towards a uh, specific philosophy. And I'll be interested to hear Jason talk about, do you expect Chiswick to modify this going forward? Does, in other words, like next week against Duke, regardless of what they're good at, could you see Chiswick say, no, you know what? We're going to concentrate on stopping the pass this game instead of the run. Um, or do you see him, because this is what he did in 2015, he picked the side of the ball. He picked the defender pass in, in 2015 and 2016. Now he's choosing to run. Do you expect him to stick with that or modify it depending on what the opponent is good at? Jason, I want to get your take on that, certainly. But let me talk about Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com right fast. They're sponsors. we gotta we got to show them love every time we do these podcasts. They always show us love. They're always showing you, the Carolina fan, love on East Franklin Street. 
take care of them in person or online. They give you 10% off if you're a Carolina Insight or Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. Shout out to the 100 Woo. folks that are in this YouTube live. Early morning? Or early morning, no advertisement, no nothing. I just sneakily threw it up on YouTube live. Um, that tells me a couple things. That tells me people pay attention. That tells me that people are um, subscribed to the YouTube channel. And they got the alert that said we were going live. Um, but also, they're, they're great fans of Inside Carolina. So on the flip side of that, if you're friends of Inside Carolina, you got to be friends of Johnny T-Shirt. Take care of them online. Premium orders, 10% off, all that good stuff. Uh, Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. National guys pay the bills for the audio version. It is the day after. Live. We'll be right back. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, fellas, it's about 8.38 in the morning, Sunday morning. A couple late night um, ball game watching and commenting on after the Carolina game. But, Jason, let's get right into this. I want to want you to answer Buck's question there. Then I've got a couple questions for our um, from the YouTube chat, and then we'll get out of here roughly 9 o'clock. But is this a Chiswick thing where he's picked the side and he's going to stick with it, or do you think that adjusts game to game? Uh, I don't know if it's that simple with this unit to flip game to game but what do you think you're muted <laughs> live i swear we're professionals folks um <laughs> so uh don't try this at home <laughs> yeah exactly um it's late night for some of us uh <laughs> anyhow um so i i don't think it's a uh like you said, it's not quite as simple as that. I think on the back end, we're going to see different things depending on who they're playing. I mean, you do not play Wake Forest the same way that you do Miami here. I mean, it's just a whole different ball game when you're playing against that team. Uh, so I think on the back end, they'll they'll call games a little bit differently depending on what the strengths of that team are. But the thing that, if they if, if this is actually the progress that it looked like on the defensive line, then it's going to look more like they're trying to take away the run for the rest of the year, just because suddenly they're having guys do their job on the on the front six, and then you're going to see teams have to labor a bit more to run the football, regardless of what they're doing in terms of bringing pressure or anything else. Because you've got beef and you've got guys that have that are athletes that can actually stop. You should you should be able to stop the run with six in the box. 
I mean, that's the thing that coming into the year, they thought that would be their strength. So I think they'll call the game the rest of the year on the, you know, sort of on the basis of, of expecting some growth up front to continue for them to be able to limit the running game. But I think in terms of how aggressive they are with bringing pressure from different spots and, you know, down the stretch, I mean, they brought both backers and, you know, in, in most cases on that final drive, uh, they brought in some cases, you know, a backer and a safety, or, you know, there are a couple cases where they brought two backers and a secondary player. So, I mean, they definitely brought some pressure in this game. You know, I think in certain cases, maybe they don't do that, that as much in the future against certain teams. You probably don't do that as much against Wake Forest, for example, just ask Clemson. Um, but I think otherwise what we saw yesterday was largely what you expect to see and you hope to see the rest of the year. So yeah, I think, but, but I think more than anything, the, the reason it looked so much more aggressive was that guys were actually getting there. You know, guys were actually doing their job up front and defensive linemen were actually moving the line of scrimmage in, in the, the right direction. And that, that changes the game for you across the board on the back end. It was interesting. They, and they sent him off the corner and I don't, and I don't watch it as detailed as a lot of folks do, but I don't remember seeing too many corner blitzes this year um, that got home and all buck. I'm going to call up a question. This one will be from, let's see who I'm going to first. Let's go to Thomas Yancey in the YouTube chat. Um, and we can tackle this question. Let's keep these answers tight and short as possible. Jason uh, or Buck, get out your hourglass for Jason's answers. Here we go. <laughs> Thomas Yancey, was Carolina runs run D that much better or was Miami run game just weak? Buck, I'll let yes. you start. <laughs> There's my answer. I've already got my answer in. You don't even need to turn it over. Yes. Shortest answer ever. Buck, what do you think? I think the D was, was that much better. Miami's had a pretty, you know, they've run the ball pretty well this year. Um, I think they were um, they're like 38th or 39th in rushing offense, somewhere like that, uh, nationally. So I, I think they've been running the ball pretty well this year, but 41 against North Carolina, 1.8, that that's more than just, you know, Miami having an off day running the ball. Uh, the North Carolina deep run defense was just that much better, I think. All right, Jason, you already answered it in your shortest question ever. Um, I think a Miami, and I think I heard Cristobal say it after the game. I mean, they were throwing it all over the field, um, having success, so just go to it. But there was some growth there for sure. This is a question you see a ton, and Jason, I'll start with you on this one. This is from <clears throat> Jamil Taylor. Uh, here we go. Why are the DBs giving so much cushion off the line? Look, they're 10 to 12 yards off. Jason, this is something that I'm also often miffed at, especially in short yardage situations. But what's your take here? I mean, that's just another Chiswick thing, right? Yeah, I mean that some of that has to do with that just being what what your other option is. So so general rule of thumb is with corners, you either press, and there are, you know, a couple different variations of press you can use. You can mirror, you can try to get your hands on them. 
or you know there's a third that's kind of a combination or you can play off coverage and off coverage you don't want to play at five yards that's no man's land because then you don't get the benefits of of playing off and being able to to read the the stem of the receiver's route basically depending on how a receiver releases does he release inside does he release outside does he release vertically that allows you to read what the offense basically can do in terms of those in terms of routes because there's only a limited amount of time you have to run routes unlike what you see in certain seven on seven stuff during the summer where it seems like guys have an eternity to run whatever route they want and then you see receivers getting wide open and oh look how great that those receivers are yeah you know pass rush is eventually going to get there but here what you're what you're doing is when you play off coverage the rule of thumb is you play somewhere around nine to 12 yards off and the reason for that is it's between five and 10 yards that the receiver basically has to declare what his route's going to be and so if you're if you're playing off you can kind of get into a into a fast pedal uh so just a little bit of a back pedal you don't have to pedal too much. Uh, you can even slow pedal it. If you're, if you're fast enough corner, you can kind of slow motion your pedal as you're watching the, the, the receiver's uh, routes coming out. And then if the receiver breaks off that route at six yards, you can drive on that ball, right? And, and try to get downhill and get there as the ball arrives and make a, make a play. If it's a quick slant and the receiver on the third step breaks inside, you can now break on that and come downhill and try to break the ball up. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to put your players in a position on the outside when you're playing off coverage to where they can, they can come downhill and, and play physical coverage against underneath stuff while being far enough off that if this guy is just releasing as a vertical release, when he gets to five, six yards and he's still pressing downfield and he, he goes to take off, you, you still have enough cushion. You got, you know, five, six yards of cushion that you now can pop your hips and you can make sure that you're, you're, you're taking away the vertical. So you're trying to, to play this in such a way that you can play underneath by driving on the ball and then play over the top by, you know, using the benefit of cushion and making sure that receivers have a hard time getting over top of you. So that's why you do it. A lot of teams have had success with this over the years. Now, the thing is, in a modern game, if you have a really good quarterback and a bunch of uh, a bunch of wide receivers who don't drop the football and run good routes, eventually it get it can get difficult to play off coverage all the time because there's just enough space underneath that you can just sort of matriculate the ball down the field. But if you're Gene Chiswick, that's what you want to you want to force the defense to do more of. Are they going to make that contested catch every time? Are they going to catch the, you know, the routine seven on seven hitch throws and those and slant throws when you're going to hit them as they're making the catch over and over and over again? Or are they going to make a mistake? Or is a ball going to deflect off of a off the hand of a receiver and wind up in the in the hands of my defensive back? And you know, you see a lot of interceptions off off coverage. A lot of people think that press coverage is going to result in more interceptions. That's not not normally true. Uh, when you're playing off, you get you know overthrows or any ball that goes off the off the hands of somebody or sails goes into a defensive back. So because you and you got guys that are always watching the quarterback in that case. So there are benefits to it. I think you need to be able to do both. 
Uh, and I think they've not done that good of a job in terms of technique playing off coverage this year, though some of that was a little better yesterday. So that's why they do it. That's the basics of the technique. Yeah, a ton of interceptions come from tipping off receivers' hands, like you said, into the hands of other people. Buck, I'll get you this question, and I think this game might have been a definitive answer on it. Uh, Jeffrey Wang asks, you think we've finally settled on a running back rotation for the rest of the year? I don't know about rest of the year, but DJ Jones had two snaps and George Petaway had none. Caleb Hood and Amarion Hampton Buck ate up all the rest. Uh, what do you think there? Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's, they've decided on uh, Hood and Hampton uh, as the primary backs, and they're going to stick with that unless there's some reason to change. Uh, but, you know, I think Hood separated himself a little bit from Hampton yesterday. And Mac addressed nice it piece. in the um, – I think Mac addressed a little bit of uh, Hampton's – what he sees that Hampton's doing wrong is that Hampton doesn't run with his head up. He's he's trying to power over people, and um, Mac was talking about it in the press conference afterwards and said we need to teach him to run with his head up, and so he can see where he's going a little better than he's than he has been doing. But uh, I, I think it's great news if you can keep Caleb Hood healthy, and that's why you need some wood nearby to knock on Tommy, uh, because he does seem to have a tendency to. Uh, leave the game with this <laughs> this ailment or that ailment or whatever. So Hood, stay, please stay healthy and, uh, you know, continue to doing what you're doing because it's great that he can uh, run the ball and catch the ball. He's an all-round, you know, three-down back. Um, so I think they'll probably stick with this rotation and, and run Hampton some, but uh, unless – uh, there's an injury or something. I expect those two to kind of finish out the season. And I think you're seeing with Hood, with Hood and uh, and and Hampton, and uh, and you know, I see some folks mentioning Petaway in the chat. I think you're seeing to some degree the difference between a guy that's been in the program an extra year and you know younger talent. Hood is finally the the light bulb is coming on for him in terms of how to read the blocks how to run with his head up, how to run in balance with your eyes and your feet working together rather than, oh, I see it and my feet in the, are in the wrong position to be able to make that cut. Uh, you know, right now, you see with the freshmen, their timing is just off a little bit. Some of that has to do with, again, that uh, I think Max completely right about Hampton in terms of not just not seeing because his head's down, but also his overall balance he runs pretty, pretty top heavy. I mean, he's trying to, he runs with a lot of forward lean and that's fine when you're trying to break a tackle. But if you run with that forward lean all the time, you're, you're not quite in balance. And there's been some balance issues he's had where he's had, I mean, how many times this year has he had a situation where he's broken through the, the line of scrimmage and, you know, if he stays on his feet just a little longer this turns into a long run, but you know, he kind of ends up stumbling forward, stumbling forward, never quite recovers. And that's partly because he's just over leaning and they've got to get him running with his feet under his body, just a little more and trusting what he sees. And once that sinks up, I think he's going to, he's going to start really making, making things happen there. And I think Petaway just physically is a year away. He needs a year to get stronger. 
and to your point, Jason, Caleb Hoog didn't look this good last year when not, he got nope, in games last year. He didn't he didn't have this kind of um vision and running ability that he has this year. So a year makes a difference. Absolutely. I put Max quote on Hampton in the chat there for everybody to look at if they missed it. Um he does. He he's a he's a plower. He he likes just to run over people and he's got to keep his head up. Um, somebody mentioned his pet away, his red shirt after four games. We'll see. But I think, uh, you know, I think Caleb Hood, one thing I like, and Buck talked to this, and we're going to get out of here. I've got one more question for Jason um, and then another comment I want to throw up. But I, I do want to ask this. It seems like um, watching this game that, and Buck, this is for you, the swings out of the backfield, or something that they haven't done a lot. And we thought they'd do a lot with Petaway maybe early in the season. Five yesterday. Yeah, and that those those are backbreaker type plays. I mean, you can especially the way May likes to survey the field and run through all his progressions. You mentioned it earlier. Talk about it a little more. How how big a deal that is for this North Carolina offense? I think it's a huge deal because if you pretty much common sense that uh, if you've got a back that can carry the ball, you know, for 10 yards, can catch a 10 yard pass and can pass protect, then you don't, the, that doesn't give the, the defense any clue as to what the play call is going to be. If you got Petaway in there, you're kind of thinking, oh, okay, this is going to, the play is going to go to the outside or uh, they're going to throw him the ball or he's going to get in the, you know, to run a route somehow out of the backfield. Uh, but, and if you have, I don't know, uh, uh, another back, there are plenty in the NFL that the only time you're ever going to see him in the game, like Jamal Williams at Detroit or whatever, he, 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 the only time you're ever going to see him if it's like, you know, first and goal from the five, you know, and, that guy, you know what he's going to do. He's not going to be running out for a pass. But the the versatility that a back like uh, Williams gives you is is what makes them so valuable. Guys that can catch the ball or run with it, and the, so the the offense never has to tip his hand about what it's going to what it's going to do. All right, it is about eight fifty-five. I like to do 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 these in an hour. I need some more coffee this morning. Um, but want to shout out, we've had 150 people in this chat. No adver- uh, no advertisements for the live. Um, so tell your friends, tell your family, get on here. Um, on the Beat Live, 9 o'clock Thursday night, or excuse me, Tuesday night, Game Plan Podcast with Jason, myself, and Greg Barnes, 9 o'clock live on Thursday night. I'll get those numbers right. But let's end this uh, with a couple of fun questions. This will be funny. And shout out to the folks that submitted them. But, Nick, I'm going to throw up yours. Nick Whitfield asked Jason the following question. Jason, you still think my flag team could hang with Miami? I don't know if they could with Tyler Van Dyke playing like that, but, you know, who knows? Well, I mean, maybe his flag team's got some guys that can run. I mean, it depends on whether or not they can can catch. So, you know, run and catch. So, I mean, if it turns into a passing contest, that's, that's, that's home territory for the, for the flag team. So, uh, you know, is this game being played in Miami is the real question. Cause you know, if you're playing in front of no fans, I think the flag team might have a little bit more of an advantage there. So, you know, we'll see. 
I, I'd have to see a little bit more about that flag team to be sure. The shade is epic from Staples. Um, also, shout out. This is what it's all about, too, and this is not a question. This is a comment from a, a viewer. The 10% discount that I mentioned from Johnny T-Shirts, worth it for premium membership as as much as I spend there, that discount pays for the Inside Carolina premium membership. That is it right there, folks. That's why you need to, A, be an Inside Carolina premium subscriber, B, shop at Johnny T-Shirt and save that money. Last question of the day, and, and Buck, if you want in on this, um, Jason wants in on this one. I'm going to shout out the Dodd, Dustin, whose last name shall not be mentioned on the Inside Carolina podcast. Why is our game clock management so bad? Can Sparky not get a tablet? Duke has a thousand-page spiral binder. Jason, you wanted it. You got it. The reason he can't have a tablet is because it's against the rules. <laughs> is that simple enough? That yeah, sounds like it would be a problem. Yeah, pretty simple. So you're not allowed to have any computing uh, devices on the coaching staff, on, on, on the sideline or in, or in the booth in college. So this is not this is not the NFL where everybody has you know Surface tablets because of the fact that you know you got 32 NFL teams with more money than they know what to do with, and you've got a sponsorship from Microsoft that wants everybody to use their Surface. So you know in the NFL and people are used to seeing this. You know you got these tablets on the sideline and people can do whatever, and and the NFL can manage. They can see what all these guys are doing, right? They can go back and look like are they trying to cheat? You know it's all networked. So. In this case, there's no central organization to manage that in, in college football. And there are a lot of programs that can't afford to have, you know, tablets on the sideline for different guys or whatever. So essentially, you know, obviously Alabama could have, you know, a tablet for each player and, you know, Texas could have a tablet for, you know, each, not only each player, but, you know, each, uh, each cheerleader on the sideline to contribute and all of this. Uh, and Texas A&M, Lord knows what they'd do, you know, in terms of, you know, giving tablets to some very, very strange situations. But um, but in college, you, you know, you can't expect Akron to have, you know, the budget to do that. And so they, they, they don't allow that. They have everything has to be analog in uh, on the college sideline. So what what Sparky did is they, they put together a really good um notebook that has you know an index that you can use based on situation and all of that thing is they made the right call in each of those cases yesterday so you know it's the right it was the right thing based on time of, of game to kick the field goal at the end there and that that was the difference in the game and then it was the right thing to go for it earlier so you know I think again you can't really complain too much in my opinion about the the clock management or end of game management in this one I thought they did a good job yeah, we've always banged on Sparky, and I, I must admit, it felt like I was watching my mom look for a buffalo chicken recipe when he was flipping <laughs> through that thing. Um, but to to your point, they, they seem to have gotten it right. Buck, any closing thoughts? I mean, Carolina's 5-1, and one, going to Duke and Durham. Uh, Duke, you know, laid an egg against Georgia Tech. I'll let you close the show where where, where you think this program is. 5-1 and one's a big deal, especially when they were 6-7 and seven last year. Um, but what's next for this Carolina team? Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I, I, I will say, though, that um, every single one of the games they played this year, um, except for the Virginia Tech game, they, they've all been struggles. I mean, even the, the F, 
uh, Florida A&M game had its moments, you know, of, uh, well, I don't know where this is going, just watching it. Um, so they, they, they have really struggled and they make it really hard on, on people, you know, my age, you know, that's susceptible to heart attacks, uh, to watch these games because you never know what's going to happen. It, 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 just no smooth sailing whatsoever. I was thinking back to 2015 when they had a, you know, five and one run going or whatever, those games were really fun to watch. Cause they would just get out in front of people and hammer them. Um, and it'd be over with by halftime this year, not so much, you know, it has been a struggle. Almost every game has been a struggle. So I would like to see them get to the point where, you know, and maybe it's the Duke game, probably not, but, uh, that the, the issue is not really in doubt for as long and as often as it was, you know, last, last night. So. Um, that's where I'm at. But I, I don't want to get out of here either without talking a little bit about the uh, onside kick and uh, the officiating that went on for them to <laughs> decide, you know, can a guy who's out of bounds, you know, actually influence the play? You know, he's been running out of bounds for like 10 yards. And, and like four so yards out of bounds. <laughs> he's going to just jump up and then all of a sudden he's not out of bounds anymore. So he can tip the ball back on the uh, field of play. How long does it take to figure that out is, is what I'm interested in. What, what's, what's your answers? Uh, uh, there's a picture. We're talking about ACC officials here, right? Not just regular officials. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this is, and, and, and look, it, it, when they awarded it to Miami, I just laughed. I was like, they're going to overturn it. I mean, they got to overturn it. But good Lord, man. The dude is like running. Mac said it in his post game, I think. Mac had to get out of the way because the Miami <laughs> guys were running that deep on the sidelines. And the picture circulating on the message boards, there are at least three officials looking directly at the play. And they give the ball to Miami. I but mean, here's, here's, here's the thing about this. And I noticed this yesterday, actually, in the night game as well. There were a few cases where I was watching the officials in, on, on replays. I was watching their eyes. And the officials' eyes are not in the correct place. So one I of the things – Right. One of the things you have, to, you have to do – So my dad was a Big Ten official for a number of years. Uh, and I, you know, growing up used to hear him talk about training and all of this other stuff. So, you know, I, I, I got a firsthand or secondhand exposure to this pretty early. One of the things that, that officials have to get trained out of is watching the football. And I've, I've seen multiple examples of ACC officials this year where you have the one that, that stood out to me yesterday was a, was a really bad holding call on the edge where a quarterback broke uh, – or actually, in this case, it was a – well, I think it was a quarterback. But it, uh, the ball carrier broke contain, and you had a wide receiver just latch on to the outside, hand outside, you know, jersey, t jersey stretch situation where you've got a guy, you know, trying to get off the block, and he doesn't. And there's an official who, sh who has the angle to look straight down the line at him, and then I watch the replay, and he's watching the ball carrier. I was like – 
That's why that hold wasn't called. Here, I think all three of those officials are watching the football on the onside kick. And then they see the guy batted in, but they weren't watching his feet, which is their job. And yeah. look, I get it. It's hard. Like, I, I have to discipline myself as an analyst to not watch the football all the time because it's hard not to do. That's where the action is. But your job as an official is to get your eyes to the right spot, and then you can make the right call. And the reason that they were having that conference is like, okay, who saw it? <laughs> was he inbounds? I, I, I don't know. And then, you know, they, I guess you're trading recipes for the next like four or five minutes. Maybe that Buffalo chicken recipe you're talking about, Tommy, uh, you know, so at that point it's going to take a while because you're going to have to go to the booth and that never should have had to go to the booth. But a, a lot of it is, you know, I talk about eye discipline from, from defenses and this is in quarterbacks. And this is a situation of, of eye discipline from, from officials who just got caught ball watching all of them. Yeah, it is a, not a good look, but you're right. There's so many plays that happen. Um, somebody mentioned Nesbitt's hold, um, pancake that turned oh into a gosh. hold and things like oh, that. But so it, it's bad. just, uh, if you're, if you're looking or watching this YouTube, go to the inside Carolina premium board. Another reason to be on there. Um, Benny Hanna, funny. We're talking about recipes. Um, talked about uh, the shows the picture of that last play. Anyway, I think they rely too much on replay. I, I think replay is has been wonderful to correct things, but replay has also been a detriment to folks doing their jobs because they know or they assume there's a backup. Anyway, I don't want to talk about refs. Sunday morning, um, get this podcast out, everybody. Buck Sanders, Jason Staples. I've been the host, Tommy Ashley. It's been the day after Miami edition, Carolina 27-24. Uh, Duke at 8 o'clock on next Saturday night. Wow. Should be rowdy over there in Durham and Wallace Wade. Uh, we'll see. I have uh, more fans than Miami do normally does at a home game. <laughs> the shade. The shade. I expect to walk outside and see a big FSU Tomahawk shading my entire yard. Uh, don't Guys, mention FSU today. Oh, yeah. I'll let you, I'll let you go in peace. <laughs> Buck, Jason, you guys appreciate it. Thanks, Tommy. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Ha! Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!